Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text INTRO to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is Day 16. Today we'll be reading Part 3, Certain Councils on the Practice of the Virtues, Chapter 5, pages 201 through 206 in the Ascension edition of the book. Now, before we get into the reading, let's take then a quick look at what we'll be covering today. So in the the last episode, we began with the virtues that St. Francis de Sales wanted to identify for us as super helpful for growing in our devout lives. And he began there with patience and then with humility, and he treated exterior humility first. So you guessed it. Here we are. We're going to turn to interior humility. Uh, And St. Francis will describe interior humility as something like being honest before the truth of our lives, right? So we mentioned in the last episode, sometimes good things are going to happen, sometimes bad things are going to happen, but he says we should look to God who permits the bad and gives the good. We should honor him, you know, we should praise him for all that he, you know, all that he permits and all that he gives, and ultimately seek to, you know, kind of go through that experience in relationship with him rather than trying to go it alone or live it in isolation. So what we'll describe here, not too terribly difficult to understand, but as we have all discovered in our lives, it is certainly difficult to practice. (laughs) Uh, So then let's say a prayer and start in. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly. For the praise and glory of thy name, Amen. Chapter 5 On Interior Humility But you desire, my dear Philothea, advice on how to progress even further along the ways of humility. For what I have said up to this point belongs to wisdom rather than humility. Now then, I will push on further still. Many will not and dare not consider the particular favors God has done for them, lest it should excite vainglory and self-complacency. However, in doing this, they deceive themselves. For given that the best means for attaining the love of God, says the great angelic doctor, is to consider God's blessings, therefore, the more we are aware of them, the more shall we love him. And, as our particular blessings more powerfully move us than those that others too have experienced, so should such particular blessings be all the more attentively considered." Certainly, nothing can so powerfully humble us before the mercy of God as can the consideration of the multitude of his blessings, nor anything humble us so greatly before his justice as does the multitude of our sins. Let us therefore consider what he has done for us and what we have done against him. And, as we reflect on our sins one by one, let us also consider one by one the favors that he has bestowed upon us. We need not fear that the knowledge of his gifts will puff us up so long as we are attentive to this truth. Whatever good we have is not from us. Alas, do mules cease to be stupid and stinking beasts when they are laden with precious furniture and princely perfumes? Quote, what have you that you did not receive? 
If then you received it, why do you boast as if it were not a gift? End quote. 1 Corinthians 4 7. No, indeed. On the contrary, a lively consideration of the favors we have received makes us humble, for through awareness of them we acknowledge where they came from. However, if in considering the favors God has conferred on us, any thoughts of vanity should begin to arise in us, we will find an infallible remedy in recalling our ingratitude, imperfections, and our wretchedness. If we consider what we have done when God was not with us, we shall see very well that what we do while he is with us is not of our own making nor of our own growth. Thus, we shall indeed enjoy it and rejoice in it, for we have received this blessing, but we shall also glorify God alone for it, for he alone is the author of this good. Thus, the Blessed Virgin Mary confessed that God had done great things for her, but she did so only to make this an occasion to humble herself and glorify God. Quote, My soul magnifies the Lord, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. End quote. Luke 1, verses 46 and 49. Very often we say that we are nothing, that we are wretchedness itself and the refuse of the world, though we would be distressed if anyone should take us at our word or tell others that we are in fact just as we say we are. By contrast, we pretend to run away and hide ourselves in the hopes that the world will run after us and seek us out. We act as though we are numbered last and sit down in the lowest place, though we do so out of a desire to be asked to go up higher. True humility never makes a show of being humble, nor uses many humble words, for she not only desires to conceal all other virtues, but even more so, and above all else, desires to conceal herself. Indeed, were we permitted to fake things or to scandalize our neighbors, she would act in arrogance and haughtiness, so that she might hide herself thus and remain altogether unknown and concealed. My advice, therefore, Philothea, is that we should either not use explicitly humble words, or else should use them with a sincere intention that is conformed to what we pronounce with our lips. Let us never cast down our eyes except when we also humble our hearts. May we never appear to desire the lowest place unless we do really desire it. I believe that this rule is so generally applicable that it admits of no exception. I only add that civility requires that we should sometimes recognize the rank of those who will nonetheless surely refuse it. Such a case does not involve either double-dealing or false humility, for the mere expression of such recognition is the beginning of honor, and since we cannot give it to them entirely, we do well to give them at least its beginnings. I say the same concerning some words of honor or respect which, strictly speaking, do not seem conformed to the truth, though they are sufficiently so, as long as the heart of the person who pronounces them sincerely intends to honor and respect the person to whom they are addressed. For although such words might express our thoughts with some kind of excess, nonetheless, we do not act sinfully when we make use of them when general customs require it. Indeed, I would like to see our words be as nearly as possible matched to our affections, so that we might in all things and everywhere live with cordial sincerity and candor. A truly humble man would rather someone say that he is wretched, nothing, and capable of no good than to say it himself. At the very least, if he knows that any man speaks thus, he does not contradict the words, but rather heartily agrees with them. For given that he firmly believes this himself, he is glad that others have the same opinion of him. Many say that they leave mental prayer to those who are perfect, that, for their own part, they are unworthy to pray in this way. Others protest that they dare not receive communion often, for they do not believe that they are sufficiently pure to do so. Others fear that they should bring disgrace upon devotion if they meddled with it on account of their great wretchedness and frailty. 
Others still refuse to employ their talents in the servants of God and their neighbor because, they say, they know well their own weakness and fear that they might become proud if they prove to be instruments of any good, and that in giving light to others, they should themselves be consumed by the flames of vanity. All this is nothing but mere artifice, and a kind of false and indeed malicious humility by which such people tacitly and subtly seek to find fault with the things of God, or, in the best case scenario, seek to cover over, on the pretense of humility, their love for their own opinion, temperament, and sloth. Quote, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven, end quote, said the prophet to Ahaz, who then responded, quote, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test, end quote, Isaiah 7, verses 11 through 12. What a wicked man. He pretends to have extreme reverence for God, and under the cover of humility, excuses himself from aspiring to the grace offered to him by the divine goodness. Does he not see that when God desires to give us his graces, it is prideful to refuse them? that we are obligated to receive God's gift, and that it is humility to obey and comply as closely as we can with his desires? Now, God desires that we should be perfect. See Matthew 5.48. Uniting ourselves to him and imitating him as nearly as we possibly can. The proud man, who trusts in himself, has just reason not to attempt anything. However, the humble man is all the more courageous to the degree that he recognizes his own inability. And the more wretched he judges himself to be, the more confident he becomes, for he places all his trust in God, who delights to show forth his omnipotence in our weakness and to lift up our wretchedness through his mercy. We may, therefore, humbly and devoutly presume to take up all that is judged proper for our advancement by those who direct our souls. To imagine that we know something when we do not is positively foolish. To desire to pass for knowing something that we are ignorant of represents a form of intolerable vanity. For my part, I would not make a parade even of the knowledge that I have, nor, on the other hand, pretend to be ignorant of it. When charity so requires, we must plainly and meekly communicate to our neighbor not only what is necessary for his instruction, but also what is necessary for his consolation. For humility, which conceals virtues in order to preserve them, nonetheless unveils them when charity so requires, so that we may augment, increase, and perfect them. In this, she imitates the tree found on the isles of Telos, which closes her beautiful flowers at night, only opening them to the rising sun, so that they who dwell in that land say that these flowers sleep by night. In like manner, humility covers and conceals all our virtues and human perfections, and never allows them to stand forth except when deployed in the service of charity, a virtue that is not human and moral, but rather divine and heavenly, the true sun illuminating all the other virtues over which she must forever exercise dominion. Thus, any supposedly humble acts that are in fact opposed to charity are in fact false forms of humility. I would neither pretend to be a fool nor a wise man, for if humility forbids me to play the sage, candor and sincerity also forbid me to ape at being a fool. And if vanity is opposed to humility, so too artificial deeds, affectation, and dissimulation are opposed to plain dealing and sincerity. However, if some great servants of God have pretended to be fools in order to make themselves more abject in the eyes of the world, we must admire them but not imitate them, for they had such peculiar and extraordinary motives for going to this excess that no one should draw any conclusions for himself on the basis of their own deeds. When David leapt and danced before the Ark of the Covenant, 2 Samuel 6, 
verses 14 and 16, bounding about in a way that was beyond what was normally considered acceptable, he did not intend to make the world believe he was a fool, but rather with all simplicity and without any artifice, allowed his external movements to suitably express the extraordinary and excessive joy he felt in his heart. It is true that when Michal, his wife, reproached him for it as an act of folly, he did not feel scorned upon hearing that he was vilified, but rather, continuing in a true and sincere representation of his joy, testified that he was glad to receive some reproach for his God. 2 Samuel 6, verses 20-22 Thus I tell you, Philothea, that if on account of deeds that flow from true and sincere devotion the world judges you to be base, abject, or foolish, Humility will make you rejoice at this blessed reproach, the author of which is not you, but rather those who thus reproach you. So as we said before the reading, uh, we find here St. Francis just diving into the nature or the, the heart, the kind of core of what it means to be humble, specifically interior humility. And what we find in his description is he focuses a lot on God, which I, I suppose shouldn't be too much of a surprise that God is good, God is generous, and that if we're going to live our lives well, right, if we're going to live them in accord with reality, that we need to recognize his goodness and his generosity, and that we need to interiorize that, we need to be recollected in that fact. So Father Jacob Bertrand, uh, when you have conversations with people about humility, or when you give talks on humility, or when you try to practice humility, what's your kind of go-to thought, what's your kind of go-to definition, how do you start the conversation? I usually avoid conversations about humility because <laughs> because it quickly reveals the fact that I am not humble. I think like when we were in our preaching classes or there's some, maybe, I don't know, somebody says somewhere, I could name a saint or like a person, but I'd be wrong, um, that like the preacher first preaches to himself, you know, so like what you hear from the pulpit is might be, you know, you don't want to make this too much of a sort of like psychological exercise, but might be something that um, is on the preacher's mind. But like I, you know, avoiding humility because I don't want to talk about it is is a good thing. And we talked about in the last episode how St. Francis starts off with the, the virtue of patience and humility and they're big virtues, they're big things to tackle and can kind of be scary. Um, but so be it because such is the beginning and the end of the devout life. So we have to start somewhere um, and these are the foundational kind of virtues. Um, but when I do talk about humility, well, I'll use this as a way of example. Often in the confessional, I give whatever kind of counsel has to do with patience and humility, because um, as we talked about in the last episode, and as we're continuing to talk about today, St. Francis continues to write about, um, it's it's important to recognize, yeah, that, that God is at work and that um, in growing in humility and growing in our sort of uh meekness we could say before god that um it takes time if you think about our lives like as humans we're creatures of habit and either like those are virtuous things as we're talking about or vicious things as we'll later talk about you know virtue and vice and as we root those things in our as we root out those things in our lives that are contrary to like the christian life whether that's sin or just temptation or whatever it might be it takes time to change those habits so that that begins in humility and continues in humility because we have to take stock of our lives like recognize what we are and who we are, but also that God has called us to greatness um, and it's on his time and it's in his His sort of way. So yeah, it's just a, a matter, I think of like looking as Father Gregory said, looking at reality, taking a, an honest and courageous look at that and, and being willing to enter into that, being willing to enter into what that is before us. I think, and we, we kind of gestured towards this with the last couple of episodes, but 
it can be a temptation to want to live like an angel. So when we think about the angel's experience of the life of grace, they're created in a state of grace, and then they have one choice to make. Do you want to receive that grace from God and then be confirmed in that grace? Or do you want to reject that offer of grace and then fall among the demons? And they make the choice, and then they live the effect of that choice for the rest of eternity. And it's tempting because it's, it's so clear-cut. Um, we don't have to worry about ups and downs. We don't have to worry about evolution and devolution. Uh, we're not concerned, like, maybe I'm becoming lukewarm at this stage in my life, because they just made one choice. And then they just reap that harvest unto ages of ages. Whereas we as human beings are on the way, and we continue to be on the way, and we'll be on the way until, you know, we die, and then, and then some, if we go to purgatory. I suppose we should say, please God, certainly better than hell, but St. Therese of Lisieux would say like, no, don't settle for purgatory. Just hope for straight to heaven. <laughs> so if I may be so bold, please God, straight to heaven. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, we're decidedly on the way, this side of death. And um, that can be really exhausting. Uh, it can be really discouraging. But humility helps us not to be overly exhausted, not to be overly discouraged. Because we recognize, okay, I woke up yesterday. I woke up today. Chances are I'll probably wake up tomorrow. God gave me grace yesterday. He's giving me grace today. Chances are he'll probably give me grace tomorrow. So what can I do? I can acknowledge that. I can thank him for that. And I can try to do my best. Will I fall? Almost certainly. The psalmist says, you know, seven, eight times, maybe more, depending on circumstances. Uh, but uh, is that the last word that, that the Lord speaks about me in my life? No. The last word that he speaks is the most recent grace because he continues to offer it. So humility, I think a lot of us hear humility and we're like, wow, I have to like beat my breast and shave my head and do all kinds of strange medieval practice. It's like, I think it's just simply, yeah, like we said, abiding in the truth and keeping our eyes fixed on God. So uh, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that encouragement for the way? Yeah, I think all of that like begs the question of like, how do I begin to do it? Like, how, where do I start in? Like, how do I even, great, like we can talk about being humble, but like we can think about it, but how do I live it? How do I put it into practice, actualize it, those sort of things. And um, one of the things that St. Francis de Sales talks about is sort of recognizing, like like we've already said, this reality of, of God and God's goodness and generosity. And a few summers ago, I spent a number of summers, Father Gregory spent some time too with college students in Colorado. Um, and I had been chatting as chaplains there, and we'd, I'd been chatting with this one student a number of times. And like, I had unknowingly, like, I didn't realize I was doing this, but I had a couple, like, I'd used a couple phrases that rhymed. And at one point, after like two or three, he like called me. I was like, why are you rhyming? It's like, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them I said, like, I was kind of making a joke, but I said attitude of gratitude. And that's like, again, another like perhaps stupid cliche, but there is a truth to that, that we begin to like enter into this life of humility, enter into this life of reality by being grateful for for, for God's goodness and, and grace and strength and all these things in the circumstances, the particular individual circumstances of our lives and recognizing that God is at work. It might not be how we planned it. It might not be how we have would have wanted it if we were able to sort of as father gregory said in a past episode curate our own sort of existence but in the the varying and changing and sometimes difficult sometimes beautiful sometimes both of those things circumstances of our lives that god is at work and there's a goodness there and in recognizing that goodness and giving thanksgiving to god we can enter into this life of humility because we we recognize that it's it's not ours to create but ours to enter into and there's a beauty to that. There's a difficulty, as Father Gregory was describing, but there's a beauty and a confidence that we ought to have as Christians that 
God is at work. God loves you, and he wants to share his life with you. And that's what the devout life is about, full stop. That, that's what we're chasing after. Yeah, I, I think that represents such a, a helpful, what would you call it, like antidote, or it's a kind of medicine uh, that, you know, cures us of one of those temptations in the devout life, which can distract us from the real goal. Because I think sometimes we think about holiness like, like a kind of achievement or like a kind of accomplishment, like I'm trying to get to a certain level and then when I get to that certain level, you're going to see signs because I'm going to start levitating or I'm going to start bilocating or I'm going to start performing great miracles or I'm going to start radiating light and people are going to talk about me like they talk about Mother Teresa. But I think at the end of the day, you know, while it's nice that those things happen in other people, I'm certainly glad because they testify to the glory of God and, you know, the holiness of his church. But that's not, that's not our concern. Our concern is Jesus. The concern is just showing up for the Lord and the Lord's going to make us as holy as he wants to make us. And then we just, you know, we consent to that. We abandon ourselves to that and, and just keep going. Um, yeah, I think that of, of all the prayers that I have prayed for humility, by the way, I would also support Father Jacob Burchin's recommendation that if you pray for humility, be prepared for pain. I prayed for humility. Wow, man, I could like list things. Torn hamstring, three facial surgeries. It's just a bad thing to do. I mean, unless you're into that, which it turns out I am. So there you go. Um, but um, yeah, there's this litany of humility, which is written in the late 19th, early 20th century. And you ask for all kinds of things, basically detachment from honors or fame or whatever. But the last line is, Jesus, grant me the desire that others become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. So we should be detached from, you know, like how holy the Lord makes us or how holy the Lord is making other people. The thing that we want is just Jesus. And the Lord is able to give himself in whatever way he sees fit. But if we just keep showing up for that, simply, modestly, humbly, which is to say, with a recognition that it's his gift to give and it's our gift to receive, then you know we can, we can be happy with what he chooses to bestow upon us. So yeah, maybe that, I should, I should leave it at that. Do you have maybe one more thought about humility just to bring us home? I think it, as St. Francis presents it, it's a matter of, it, we can, well, I'll say it this way, that the virtues don't exist in isolation. So it's not as if we have to conquer humility and humility on its own and then move on to the next thing. But this is also why I think St. Francis presents patience and humility together that, again, recognize that it's the Lord's time, it's the Lord's project to make us holy. And um, yeah, as we grow in that, we should also recognize that we, we don't need to rush things according to our schedule. So be patient, relax, chill. The Lord's at work. It's a beautiful thing. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, so, you know, our continued prayer for you is we seek to grow together in the devout life, seek to grow together in the life of faith, the life of prayer, that the Lord, you know, who is good, who is generous, would continue to show himself to be good and generous. Uh, spoiler alert, he will. And that we would continue to, you know, open our minds and hearts to that gift so that we could recognize it and so that we can embrace it. All right, that's all we have for today. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And then be sure to download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast uh, at ascensionpress.com slash Catholic Classics. I guess you don't have to be sure to do that. You are cordially invited to do that. <laughs> so know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Catholic Classics.